Welcome to our podcast. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. I invite you to stand for a reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 17 and 18. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, and she was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things that the filth and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. There I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mysteries of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are, the seven, are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his, to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be, called his, will be his called chosen and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. 
The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has, come, she has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her, in her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her death, mourning, and famine, she will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has, brought, brought to, has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain, all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and weeping and mourning, and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets. For God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Then a, final, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, 
With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. That's a nice, light and cheery text to, you know, get us excited for the morning. Uh, so actually, uh, I, I want to welcome out a couple of volunteers to kick us off. I have Nicole and John back here. Nicole and John uh, are going to be reviewing for us uh, a, a couple of rooms. Uh, I'll explain it a little more as we go, but uh, for starters, Nicole's going to go first. And John, you can't hear Nicole's uh, review. So what I need you to do is I need you to put your ears back in. I'm going to plug you into my phone, and I'm going to play the Wiggles because uh, I, that's all I get to listen to anymore, uh, all I listen to all day long. It's what I wake up to. It's what I go to bed to, the Wiggles. Welcome to my world. Uh, so, Nicole, uh, you, uh, the anticipation must be killing you because uh, you've been waiting for the, the big reveal to find out where you are going to be staying for the next three weeks of your life. Are you ready for it? You ready to see it? I'm, I'm ready too. There you go. What do you think? Tell us, how do you, how do you feel about the room? Uh, oh, you're supposed to have this. This doesn't do me any good. There you go. It's like my dorm room in college. <laughs> Are you, how do you feel? Are you happy with it? Um, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> Is it just me? My whole family? It's, it's the family. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not going to be enough space. No? But no. there's like a fridge in there. There's a... Yeah. Uh, they eat a lot. Uh, <laughs> you even have an air conditioner that doesn't... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> is is it a hot climate? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's okay. pretty warm. All right. So uh, you think it's, there's an air conditioner? Is it, does it kind of meet your expectations of what you were uh, kind of hoping for? No, it it, it wouldn't. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate your your honest review. Uh, I'm going to invite John to come over now. And John, uh, we have a, a room for you to review as well. Anticipation must be killing you. You don't oh, yeah. know what you're about to walk into, but big reveal. Here it is. What do you think? It's, it's not what I expected. No? no? No. In a good way or a bad way? In a good way. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, what, are, what are some of the features that you like about it? Well, there's a nice, comfortable bed. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. A mini fridge. Yeah. For cold drinks. That's yeah. great. A window. In case uh, I feel lonely, I can stare outside. <laughs> Air conditioning, I right? was not expecting that either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, uh, real quick, John, what is this room to you? It looks like maybe a... Oh, no, a sorry, with your backstory, what is this room to you? Now you're allowed to kind of oh. reveal. Yeah. It's supposed to be a prison. Okay. All right. Nicole, uh, with your backstory, what is this room supposed to be to you? 
I was told that this is going to be an expensive vacation that I've <laughs> saved up my whole life for. <laughs> so so for, for Nicole, this was supposed to be the presidential suite. For John, this was supposed to be his prison cell. And obviously, walking into it, the same room provided a very different response. Can you guys give them a, a round of applause? Thank you guys for uh, participating. Uh, it's amazing how powerful our expectations are in shaping how we experience something. That we can have two different people walk into the same situation and depending on what they were expecting will shape their experience of that. And today as we continue in our series, Thy Kingdom Come, we're looking at these kind of difficult chapters in Revelation 17 and 18. And as the, the term revelation implies, something is being revealed to us. The curtain is being pulled back so we could see something. And, and what is being seen is the world as it actually is. In these couple of chapters, the curtain is being pulled back so we can actually see reality in our current situation as it actually is to help us reform our expectations of what we're going to find here. Because depending on your expectations, it will impact how you experience your reality here and now. And if you're expecting a prison cell, then any little bit of comfort will seem like a, a prize, a, uh, a treasure, something to enjoy. But if you're experiencing a room at the Four Seasons and you find yourself in the, the parking lot of a landscaping company, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, uh, a couple of you got it. Uh, but yeah, depending on our expectations, what, what we're looking forward to will shape how we experience that reality. And here in Revelation, John is given this, this kind of sneak peek into what, what we should expect. So there's this angel guiding him along. And in this, this picture, there are two key figures that come up. The first one is the prostitute. And we're going to call her the whore. And I know that is a vile way of talking about her. It's hard to hear that word. It's even harder to say that word on my part. But she is the whore. She's not a prostitute. Like, this is not, this is not like Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. This is someone vile. And so if it hurts to hear that word whore said over and over and over again this morning, that's, that's the point. She is the whore. And we, we, right off the bat, learn a couple of things about her, what she's like. She's, first off, she's captivating, right? It says that with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, right? And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. That this woman, she's so captivating that she is able to seduce kings and intoxicate the masses. Secondly, we learn that she appears to be attractive, appears attractive, but is utterly grotesque. It says the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls, and she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Right? She, she has the, the appearance of a queen, but behind it, she's this grotesque figure. Like you don't, you don't see her and think whore. You see her and think princess. Oh, she looks, she looks pretty good. But behind it, it's kind of like the evil queen, right? This is, this is what's lurking behind. She appears attractive, but is utterly grotesque. We also see that she delights in the destruction of God's people. 
It says, I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. She's this, this blood-sucking succubus. Right? But who is she? Or what is she? What is being represented by this whore? John is given a name. It says, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Babylon the Great. This term Babylon is a loaded term in scripture. Babylon shows up quite often and plays an important role historically in the Bible. And there's a few things we can learn about Babylon from the scriptures. And the first one is that Babylon is the city where humanity is sovereign. The first time Babylon shows up is a story that you might be familiar with. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. Babel and Babylon, same place. Babylon gets its name from Babel. But in the story of the Tower of Babel, humanity decided to gather together to build a tower up to God with the the intent of really displacing God. Or, Or at the very least, if not displacing God, putting humanity on the level with God. Where humanity is sovereign by its own mighty power, establishing its glory over the earth. And you actually get another story in scripture about Babylon doing just the same thing. In Daniel 4, we meet a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And you might have heard that name before. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he was one of the kings of Babylon. And he, he grew the empire. And it was, it was the empire in the world at the time. And one day, he goes out on his porch, and he looks over his empire, and these are the words that come out of his mouth. He says, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? This is is the ethos of Babylon right here. By my mighty power, for my glory. The city is the, the place where humanity is sovereign. It is by humanity's power. It is for humanity's glory. The second thing we learn from scripture about Babylon is that this is the place of inevitable exile for God's holy people. So uh, there was a a period in time where God's uh, people, the nation of Israel, they were rebelling against God, and God said, as as a result, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you into exile, and you're going to go into Babylon, and you're going to, to spend time there to kind of deal with the consequences of your betrayal of me. And for decades, this promise was coming, all right, decades. And the Israelites refused to believe it. They tried to fight against it. They tried to do anything they could to resist Babylon, to resist exile, but it was inevitable. It was the inevitable, inevitable place where they were going to land and exile. And this is important for us as Christians because the, in the New Testament, the New Testament writers decide to pick up on the language of exile, the language of Babylonian exile, to talk about where we currently live. So the Apostle Peter, he actually calls us, as God's chosen people, he calls us exiles. In First Peter, he, he calls us uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, to the exiles scattered throughout. He calls us, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. So this this idea of exile that is talked about in the Old Testament, referring to Babylon, is brought into the New Testament to talk about the place where God's holy people will inevitably dwell. And the third thing we know about Babylon is that it's temporary. And this is one of those things we need to hold on to with all of our might. But when the, the Tower of Babel was being built, it didn't take long for God to put a stop work order on that project. Right? 
When uh, King Nebuchadnezzar let those words out of his mouth, like the very moment those words came out of his mouth, by my power, for my glory, in that very moment, God struck him with insanity, and for the next seven years, he acted like he was a wild animal. He just lost his mind. For the nation of Israel, they went into Babylon, but, but God was, told them up front, I'm not going to leave you there. This is, this is temporary. You're going to be there for 70 years, all right? And then I'm going to bring you back home. This is an important aspect of Babylon and that it is the city where humanity is sovereign. It is the inevitable place where God's people will find themselves in exile, but it is temporary. And it says that her name is Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. Mother of prostitutes. Now, this implies that she has offspring, right? That she is reproducing. You can't be a mom without having offspring. She's the mother of prostitutes. And we see uh, later on in verse 15 of Revelation 17, it says, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. So Babylon, as it's being referenced here, isn't one particular place. It's actually, it's talking about a, a, an idea, an idea that pervades multitudes, peoples, nations, languages. In fact, in, in chapter 18, verse 3, it says, all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. All of the nations. Uh, little uh, kind of interpretive principle for scripture. Uh, when it says all the nations... It means all the nations. Uh, there's, there's no double language here. All the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. Daryl Johnson, he's a, a commentator, and commenting on this passage, he says, what we're being told is that Babylon, whatever she is, is ubiquitous in her, her influence. We are being told that Babylon is experienced all over the globe. Babylon is everywhere and it is in every time. It is the society of human beings where human beings are sovereign, where they're doing it by their power, for their glory. It is the place where all of God's people are inevitably going to find themselves, but it's temporary. It's temporary, but it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere and it's in every time. In fact, I've been reading uh, St. Augustine's The City of God recently, and in there he, he talks about what the world was like in his day, and he was writing about 1,600 years ago uh, in the 5th century. And here is him describing Rome at the, you know, in his day, describing basically the, the ethos of Babylon, how Babylon was showing up in the Roman Empire in 440 A.D., says what concerns us, by the way, this is, he's not advocating this, he's just describing what his world is like. What concerns us is that we should get richer and richer all the time, to have enough for extravagant spending every day, enough to keep our inferiors in their place. It's all right if the poor serve the rich, so as long as you get enough to eat and enjoy a lazy life under their patronage. It's all right if kings are interested not in the morality, but the docility of their subjects. The laws should punish offenses against another's property, but not against offenses against a man's own personal character. No one should be brought to trial except for an offense or a threat of offense against another's property, house, or person. But anyone should be free to do as he likes about his own or with his own or with others if they consent. Uh, he goes on to talk about how uh, it, it's good if anyone... Uh, 
It's good to have these uh, imposing houses, he says. Imposing houses, luxuriously filled. And he goes on to talk about uh, their theaters, how they were filled with all sorts of uh, degenerate pleasures and cruel and degraded indulgences. And like, this is the world that they were living in. And then he closes out, he says, anyone who attempts to change it or to get rid of it should be hustled out of hearing by the freedom-loving majority. That's... uh, Rome in the fifth century. I know that's 1,600 years ago, so it's really, really hard to relate to what the world was like at that point in time or how Babylon might have manifested itself. Uh, You know, come on, it's the 21st century. We've progressed a lot or not at all. There is nothing new under the sun. Babylon is everywhere and it is in every time and it infects every human society. Now, Babylon isn't, isn't necessarily the political structures. We're going to get to those in a minute. Babylon is the, the social and cultural structures of society where human beings are sovereign to do as they like, to live as they like, to do things in their own power for their own glory. And God is saying this human society is the whore. It is a whore that looks great and it's captivating. It's going to intoxicate kings and it's going to seduce people. But it is going to to suck the life out of God's people. But fortunately, society has a check on it, right? Society can't just do whatever it wants. We have government to step in and political structures to step in and restrain this whore from taking over, right? Well, that brings us to the second figure in the passage, which is the beast. Uh, If you were here a couple weeks ago, this is the same beast that Robert talked about. Uh, It showed up in uh, Revelation 13. This is the beast from the sea. All right, pop quiz. Does anybody remember what the beast from the sea represented? It's not the religious structures. It's... Yeah, the political structures. So the beast from the sea, uh, whoever you are, gold star to you. Robert's going to kiss you on your way out. Uh, Socially distanced, of course. Uh, But but the beast represents the political structures of the world. And if you remember that message a couple weeks ago, the, the beast infects every political structure. So it's not like some are immune to it. It's that every political structure is infected by the beast who's under the dominion of the dragon, who is Satan himself. And so uh, here we have, here we have both the societal and cultural structures being infected by the whore, and we have the political structures being infected by the beast. Welcome to human earth. Uh, and, And here we are in the midst of it. And then we get this picture of, uh, in Revelation how the two are interacting with one another. How the, the beast and the whore, are, they, they play off of each other. Because uh, the, the woman, the whore, she comes riding in on this beast. And what we learn is that the whore is in charge of the beast. Right? It says that the, the woman you saw is the great city. She's the society that rules over the kings of the earth. So society... He's saying the social structures actually rule over the political structures. This is 
not surprising for us, right? Because you see how even in, in our world, in our changing world, usually the way that society goes doesn't take long for the political structures to follow behind, right? The, the sexual revolution came first, and then the influence of the sexual revolution made it into our legislation and our you know, political structures and all of that. And that kind of isn't, isn't surprising to see that society is the one ruling it, right? But then we see that the, the beast, the beast, even though... The government, like the role of it, if you read in scripture, the role of government is to restrain evil and wickedness because the beast has his fangs into those political structures. The beast can't restrain her. The beast can't restrain society as it's supposed to, but what it does do is it ruins it. It says, the beast and the 10 horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked, and they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So eventually, the political structures that are being ruled by the social and, uh, and cultural structures, they decide to stand up against the whore and say, no, 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 no further. But they can't restrain her. In the end, they ruin her. And the next thing they do is regret it. <laughs> they immediately regret it. It says, when the kings of the earth committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, uh, 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 sorry, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, it says they will weep and they will mourn over her. Not just the political structures, but even the, the economic structures. It says that the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. All right, so here you have the political structures and the, and the social structures uh, coming against each other, and in the end, society is just decimated. And here in Revelation, we're told that this is the pattern. This is what happens. That every society ultimately is Babylon, that every political structure is going to be infected by the beast. That, and every means every, which means it includes us. Nobody is immune from this. No society is immune from the, the infection of the whore, right? Actually, do you know, do you know in Scripture which nation was referenced or referred to as the whore, the prostitute, more often than any other nation in all of Scripture? Israel. <laughs> Israel. So God's chosen people couldn't prevent themselves from being influenced and overcome by the whore of Babylon. Nobody is immune to it. Not even us. And we can see these cycles play out in history. Nations rise and fall, and, and there's this sort of destructive character where they're this, they, they implode on one another. And we can even see it in our own history, right? Our great nation, we were less than a century old before we, we were brought to our knees by civil war. Like, it didn't take long for that implosion to take place here in our country. And, and it wasn't, you know, maybe a generation later where, again, we were, we were decimated, we were ruined by, by greed and, and materialism and, and rampant consumerism, which led to the Great Depression. And, and again, we were just decimated, All right? And a couple centuries, or a couple decades later, we found ourselves in the civil rights movement and there was fighting and infighting and turmoil again. And then we get to where we are today, right? And, and our nation is so divided. 
There's so much polarization that is taking place. And, and, and what's interesting is for the last four years, all right, for the last four years, half of our country felt like, like our society has turned into a whore, right? And they felt like what we need to do is we need to restrain the whore. And the other half of society said, ah, no, look, those people over there, those people over there are bowing to the beast. <laughs> and they're, they're giving their, their weight and their, uh, their authority to this beastly political figure who's going to ruin us, right? That was the last four years. Now we have the next four years ahead of us, and things are flipped, right? And half of our country is saying, oh, man, have you seen the whorish practices of the last four years? Now, we need to put a stop to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to look to the political figures, and the other side is saying, oh, no, they just elected the beast. And the beast is going to ruin our society. And wherever we're at, and you know, whoever had, had won this election, we would be in a place where half the country felt like the beastly political structures... We're going to ruin our country. And the other half of the country felt like they were just restraining the whore. But this is the cycle that Revelation is talking about. He's saying this is natural. This is what happens in human society. And it, he's not just describing what will happen, right? He says that this is God's plan. This doesn't just kind of happened because God lost control. He says, this is God's plan for how it's going to happen. He says, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. That God is the one behind this, this whorish practices sprouting up and then the beast ruining her and decimating society and Babylon falling. God's plan is for you to be in exile. That is his plan. The way the world is right now is not because God lost control. The way the world is right now is because God is in control. God has designed this as the, proce the, the process. God has planned it out so that your current experience in this world is exile. He planned it out that St. Augustine's experience in Rome was going to be the world of exile. He planned it out that the United States and New York State and Long Island would be your exile, would be your Babylon. Where we are right now is Babylon. Does anybody here actually live in Babylon, by the way? <laughs> I know we have like a few people. Does anybody live in Babylon? No? Uh, who names a place Babylon? <laughs> Like, I don't even understand it. Like, especially, like, Long Island has, like, such Judeo-Christian roots. Like, a lot of Catholics and a, a lot of Jewish people, none of them thought Babylon was a good place. So who names the place? I don't, I don't fully understand it. Uh, but regardless, we live in Babylon. This nation is Babylon. This nation has always been Babylon. And that's not because God lost control. That is because God is in control. This isn't supposed to be our luxury suite. We're not supposed to turn America into the great resort. And, and we could try, but we'd be fighting against God's plan for me and you to live in exile. God wants us in exile because God does really, really important work in our lives in exile. 
leading up to uh, the Israelites being sent into exile in Babylon, uh, there were a number of prophets that came and warned them, hey guys, this is what's coming. You're going to be sent into exile. Uh, God was actually trying to manage their expectations. Like, no, 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 not, you can't do, like, undo this. It's going to happen. You're going to be in exile. Uh, but one of these prophets was Hosea. And Hosea, he actually brings us into the, the purpose, God's redemptive purpose of exile. And uh, Hosea chapter 2, he says, uh, I will punish her. He's talking about Israel. I'm going to punish her for the days she decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot me, right? Who does she sound like? Well, she sounds like the whore in Revelation 13, but this is Israel, right? This is God's chosen people, but, but it's human society where humanity rules sovereign, and it is every human society, even Israel. And so God says he's going to punish her. Right? He's going to send her into exile. And so part of exile is it's punitive, but not in a condemn, like condemnation sort of way. This isn't like the final God is destroying them. Remember, exile is temporary. Right? So it's more in a disciplinary sense. God is sending the Israelites into a place where they're going to experience the sinfulness of sin. He wants them to not just know that sin is bad, but they're going to feel the sinfulness of sin. Exile is the place where you you get the aroma of that cup, right? The cup of God's condemnation, that cup that you and I, that bitter cup that you and I don't have to drink, we get the the scent of it in exile. It's the, the aroma, the stench where we learn, I don't want to drink that cup. Right? Exile is the place where we learn what we're actually being rescued from. Uh, Kara, my daughter, is uh, 20 months today, which means she's getting more independent and climbing on things. And we have some rules in the house, mostly to protect her. Uh, and she doesn't always follow those rules. And usually we, we try to, get ex- even if she's breaking the rules, try to catch her to make sure that she, she doesn't fall and hurt herself. But, but there are times where we have to let her fall. Not because we're, we're trying to be mean, not because we're trying to hurt her, but because if we never let her experience the pain of the fall, she'll never understand what it is that we're rescuing her from. She'll never understand what it is we're trying to protect her from. Exile is the place where God lets us experience our fall. And so when you wake up in the morning and you realize you're in Babylon, when you get that pit in your stomach and you feel like, the, you know, this place is hopeless or you feel like we've lost our country or you feel like we're never going to gain a country, whatever you're feeling in that pain and that turmoil, that is God's design. He wants you to feel that. He wants you to see and experience how awful it is when humanity runs itself without God because that is the world that we're being rescued from. He's not trying to do it in a way, just be mean and, and make you hurt. He's doing it in a way so you can understand what it is you're being rescued from. But that's not the only thing he does in exile. In the very next verse in Hosea, he says, Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness. You get this? He says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to woo her back. I'm going to lead her into the wilderness. I'm going to lead her into exile, okay? And I'm going to speak tenderly to her. Exile is the place where God woos his people back to him. And if you know the story of Hosea, then you know how God does this. So before Hosea wrote this, before this, God told Hosea to go and marry a whore. Go marry a prostitute and go and build a family with her. And and he does, he has kids, all of that. And then this woman, she goes back to her whoring. She goes back to her lifestyle and she finds herself as a, a slave to another man. 
And right after Hosea writes this, God comes back to Hosea and he says, Hosea, go love your wife again. So Hosea, he goes out and he goes to the marketplace and he can't take his wife back because she actually belongs. She's a slave of another now. So Hosea opens up his wallet and he pays to purchase his wife back. This is how God, he, he woos his people back from exile. He woos his people back by purchasing them out of it. See, exile is not just the aroma of that bitter cup that you never have to drink. Exile is the aroma of the cup that Jesus drank for you. Because Jesus decided to enter into our exile to purchase you back. He bought you back out of this place by feeling, you know what it feels like to be in this this place of exile. You know the pain. And that's just the scent right? That's just the, the aroma of the wrath of God. Jesus came in and he, and he drank it fully down. He took the fullness of it. That, that little sense that you get, that pit in your stomach when you're afraid of how the future is going to go or you're, you're unsure of what's going to happen to you and your family and your li- livelihood, like all of that, that angst, that uncertainty, that pain, that heartbreak, that disappointment that we feel in exile, that's just the, the aroma of God's wrath, and Jesus took the fullness of that in order to purchase you back. And you can't know what that's like. We're never going to know it, but we can't even imagine what that is like without living here, without being in exile, without experiencing the pain and the heartbreak and what it's like to be in a world where God isn't sovereign anymore. This is the place where God lets you see that he is wooing you back to him. And he is purchasing you back at this enormous price. And so Christian, when you wake up tomorrow and you find yourself in Babylon, know that this is God's plan. This is what we should expect. And as we do, there's four quick responses that, that we should have. First, don't be surprised by Babylon's sins. Don't be surprised by our sins. John, he sees the horror and he, he says, I was greatly astonished. And then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? Right? And it's a rhetorical question. Right? The angel's like, why, why are you surprised by this? We shouldn't be surprised by the whorish nature of society. It's going to happen. It's going to keep happening. We, we sh- it shouldn't catch us off guard. shouldn't be surprising when we see it in the future. shouldn't be surprising when we hear about you know, things in the past that happened. This is exile. We shouldn't, it shouldn't shock us. Secondly, don't be blind to our sins. The angel tells John that this calls for a mind with wisdom. The the interaction between the whore and the beast in our world, he says, this is going to require a mind of wisdom. We're going to need to be able to discern, right? We're going to be able to discern what is good and evil in this place. And we can't afford to be blind to the sins of Babylon. And and here's the deal. You and I, uh, I think we're all this way. We are painfully aware of certain sins, but not all sins, right? We're painfully aware of some things that we see it and they gross us out and it makes us outraged. And there's other things that we kind of downplay or, you know, we trivialize a little bit. For instance, uh, for, for maybe half of you here, uh, you, are, you are relieved about how the election turned out. 
you're excited for a change, you're excited, and you're hopeful that, you know, Biden's presidency, that he's going to do some good stuff. And I, I think we should all be praying for good things to happen there, hoping for good things to happen there, regardless of your political affiliation. Of course, we want to hope and pray for the best, right? But if you're, if you're one of those people that are kind of relieved and hopeful, I want to encourage you, don't turn a blind eye to the, the evil that's going to come too, because there's going to be real evil, things that are detestable to God. Uh, you know, on day one, you know, there's going to be uh, things that, that celebrate and promote like the LGBT community and perversion of God's sexual norms and family norms and things like that, that God finds repulsive, and we shouldn't downplay those things. It doesn't mean that we don't celebrate what we think is good, but we also should be horrified by, by evil in whatever way it shows up in our society. We can't be blind. We can't afford to be blind to these things, right? And, and that goes in the other direction as well as, you know, for those of you who looked over the past four years and you, you thought, you know, that was actually pretty good. Uh, like, that's what I wanted. I wanted that to continue. You, you look at the degrading kind of sexual norms and stuff in our society. You feel like that's the real evil. That's the sin. Uh, and that is. It is horrible. And we should be horrified at those things. But at the same time, if you, you read through these couple of chapters in Revelation, it actually doesn't talk about sexual norms at all or sexual immorality at all as the outworking of Babylon. It talks about greed talks about materialism at the expense of other people, people being oppressed and downtrodden and sold as slaves in order to provide material goods, and, which are kind of some of the things that maybe people on the other side are a little more concerned at. And they're like, no, that's the evil, that's the sin. And, and we all have these things that we see this as sin and these things we kind of downplay. It's like not that big. But, but we can't afford to be blind to any of the sins on either side and particularly the things that you are likely to be blind to, listen to the other side. Because they're, they're probably right about the sins. They're probably right about the critique. Don't be blind to these things. It requires wisdom. Number three, don't share in her sins. It says, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. All right? We're going to find our, ourselves in, in Babylon. Don't be surprised by our sins. Don't be uh, uh, blinded to them but also don't participate in it. Don't share in it, right? We can't get out of Babylon. Like there's nowhere you can go to escape Babylon because the next society you go to, she's going to be there too. Uh, so we, we can't escape it, but this is the call to live in the world and not be of the world. Don't participate in these things. And, and it takes wisdom and discernment and, and the Holy Spirit to kind of help us see these things and try to rid ourselves of them. I'm going to give you a couple examples of things that I'm, I'm just wrestling with in my own life, only as examples to maybe get the wheels turning. But for me, I am a pretty frugal person, and I like nice things, uh, which is not always a great combo. Uh, and so what that means is I try to make my dollar go as far as it possibly can. And, you know, I do this by buying, the, you know, the cheapest thing I can find, like the least expensive. And I have zero regard for, you know, who made it, how it was made, whether, you know, the, the conditions were fair or, you know, uh, if people were abused or taken advantage of in the process. Like, none of that concerns me. I, I say, oh, that's, that's not my problem. That's somebody else's problem. But, but lately, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, well, actually, <laughs> that, that sounds a little bit like Babylon, uh, that sounds a little bit like you wanting to have your material luxuries regardless of how it affects other people. And I'm feeling that conviction. I'm like, oh, man, uh, maybe I should pay more attention to how things are sourced and, and change that. Uh, another one for me has been my entertainment. 
because I, you know, there are things that are happening in society that are clearly evil. I don't support them, but I will watch it on TV. Uh, and I don't just mean watching it on TV because it's descriptive of society. That's one thing. But I will watch like TV shows that are promoting it, that are like advocating it, and like and it's sin. And I'm there, and I'm like, yeah. You know, I'm being entertained, and apparently me being entertained is more important than me not sharing in the sins of Babylon. And I, I feel the Holy Spirit convicting me about these things, and, and here we are. We're living in Babylon. It's all around us, and it's going to slip in. She's seductive. She looks good, right? She's captivating. And so be paying attention to the ways the Holy Spirit might be saying, like, wait a minute. That's Babylon. She's sneaking in there. Question these things. Don't share in her sins. And lastly, don't forget, she's temporary. Whew. Babylon, it's a rough place. Exile, it is a rough place. If it feels terrible, that's the point. If it feels anxiety-inducing, that's the point. But don't forget, this is not the end of the story. There's four more chapters in Revelation. It gets much, much better. This is temporary. Expect Babylon but expect that it's going to end. And don't put your hope in trying to turn this Babylon or trying to get Babylon out of here. We can't. This is God's plan. Babylon's here to stay. All right? And I'm not just, I want to be clear because things get misheard. I'm not saying that we don't do our best to like remove injustice and try to improve society. Like we do that. And we don't do it to try and create utopia here. We do it out of love for our neighbor. We want to actually create the best world for our neighbor. We want to reduce suffering and pain and turmoil out of love for our neighbor. Not to create utopia. We're not going to do that. This is Babylon. And just know that every time we reduce one form of suffering and sin, another one's going to pop up, and then we deal with that one and, and expect that that's the place. And it's going to be tiring, and it's going to be exhausting, and it's going to be temporary. And we have this hope that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to redeem his bride. He's going to take her home away from this whorish place where everything that you crave to turn this place into will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, it's tough to come to terms with where we live and what we should expect and it's heartbreaking to live in exile. It's heartbreaking to see people mistreated and abused, taken advantage of. It's heartbreaking to see families destroyed, to see just selfishness and indulgence and perversion at every turn. God, it's, it's hard to be in this place, and yet... God, we know that this is, is just a glimpse of what our own sin deserves. That if you left us completely to our own devices, things would be a whole heck of a lot worse. We know that this is just the, the aroma of that bitter cup, but that Jesus drank that cup for us. And I pray, God, that we will learn to live in Babylon without becoming like Babylon, that we would remain your pure and spotless bride. God, I pray that you will re renew and restore our hope for that day when we will be redeemed. 
We ask this in Jesus' name.